Hello, my friends. This is Between Two Sundays because we're Between Two Sundays and this is Mark Beresford and this is Mark Gladman and we are here to share with you today and with each other. Hi, Mark. G'day, Mark. How are you? I'm well now that I, well, a bit stuffy. But in terms of introductions, I think I'm on top of things now a few weeks in. Husky, Husky is a great book. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Between Two Sundays, of course, where we discuss the readings from the Sundays that we're between. Last week was the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. This week coming is the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. So we're going to have a chat about how we lived out of the 12th Sunday and then talk mm. about how we're living into the 13th. There you go. There's our show. Now. What a, what a perfect summary. Well done, Mark. That's You're getting better at this. Just 10 seconds. You're saying now it in fewer of, and fewer words. Soon it'll be three. <laughs> I'll just say between two Sundays, everyone will yes, know. Yes, that's right. One day. Everyone will know what it means. Last week, readings were from Jeremiah, Psalms, Hebrews, and, of course, Luke's Gospel. Uh, uh, it was a, another really good conversation. Not quite the hour, by the way, um, but um, a, a very good conversation that seemed to come back. Um, we started and we finished with that fountain of living water that um, that God wants to be for us instead of the broken systems that we seem to want to dig for ourselves, Yeah, uh, which was a beautiful yeah. illustration that kind of flowed, pardon the pun, all the way through um, <laughs> yes. uh, the, re the, the readings that we had. What, what really stuck for me, though, was Hebrews 13.1, wo uh, four words, let mutual love continue. That's it. Yeah. And I just sat there with that for ages. Yeah. Uh, what a what a it's been a beautiful little mantra to hold on to since yeah. since Sunday and just to to chew on that and go yeah let mutual love continue and I think the yeah. key word there is mutual hmm. uh, not just let love continue let mutual love continue which yes. means not only do I have to give it but I have to receive it hmm. and I wondered whether sometimes the receiving of love is harder for us to do than the giving. Yeah, as hard as giving is to do. Um, yes, the receiving. I, I is think even you've harder. got a good point there. You've got a really good point there. So mm. look, to be short, sharp, and shiny, that was pretty much me. Mm. Um, just sitting with that and going, yeah, what does it mean? Um, mutual love, and then for that mutual love to continue along. Yeah. How about you? Um, uh, amazingly, um. I got stuck on Hebrews 13.1, um, <laughs> let mutual love continue. Um, but, but what I ended up thinking was slightly different to where you're coming from, um, not oppositional or anything, but, but I, was, I was asking myself how do people come into the faith or how do people catch this faith? And, um, and I, I was, you know, the old... Um, believe belong behave um, and and the argument that in a postmodern world um, uh, believe belong behave and it gets flipped doesn't it yeah that people belong and out of belonging belonging they may start yeah. believing and or behaving yeah so I found myself thinking um, because I've always thought of this, this Hebrews argument, the argument of Hebrews, especially in the latter chapters, as moving from, you know, Christ has behaved in this way, we are called to faith. And, and we get to this third, chapter 13 and this is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and and it was, was very much a believe, belong, behave um, progression. Um, but I found myself asking um it, it's it's pretty problematic for us to stay there um, when it comes to ministry. We really need to start with <laughs> this uh, with with entering into love even if it isn't yet mutual. Um, so taking the risk of loving even when I'm not being loved back. Um, yeah. And I found myself thinking, you know how many people, um, actually do look at 
um, do look at these values, which are deeply human and deeply relational yep. and deeply grounded on love, and, uh, um, and, and say to themselves that that's actually what I'm after. Um, and, and start by saying, um, start in their journey of faith towards Christ by saying, I'm seeing something here that I want not only to get, but I want to be a part of. And I found myself, you know, if this is mutual love and, and, and we're the ones who are, um, you know, we're the ones who are saying this is possible, then, then really we are at a place which is saying uh, we're going to start by loving you we're going to start by welcoming you, welcoming the hospitality and strangers as all through this. We're going to start by being faithful to you and to each other, all this language around the marriage bed and all of this kind of thing. Um, we're going to start by relating to a world that loves money by not loving money. Um, we're actually starting in this place, starting in this encounter with the world by loving them and, and i wonder if that's kind of important because i think there's a danger that we think we don't have to love until they're part of us or, or there's a behavior there's a behavior around that that i find kind of disturbing and unfaithful what's really interesting about that is i've often come from the complete other direction and i've said our best evangelism is not when we talk to people, it's when we love them. Absolutely. We actually demonstrate yeah, yeah. Christ to them. And yeah. anything else is just clanging of symbols uh, yes. and and yes. gongs going off, which is basically what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. Yeah. Um, if if, if love is going to continue and mutual love continue, then how do we show love to people? Patience, kindness. Besides suspect money. This I suspect, Mark, is the chaplain coming out in both of us. Yeah, maybe so. Um, the the one who says, actually, I can move into the world and love, encounter, um, be gracious in that space, and it is a preaching of the gospel. And, and um, Jesus is clear there's no prerequisites to receiving love, both in both what he said yeah. and also what he did. Um and, and it's interesting, you know, when you were talking about the behave, barely belong, uh, I, I sort of saw it from a slightly different angle as well, that uh, as you were talking about it, I'm thinking if the things that are talked about here are the things that are truly a part of what I think human beings long for, and mm. many human beings live, I think we're kidding ourselves within Christian circles if we think that there is nobody outside of Christianity who are good people and who do uh, good and right things course. that course. thing annoys the snot out of me yeah. um you know uh, the, the argument that oh if we became atheists everybody would start killing everybody i'm like no yeah that's uh, there's good people yeah. out there but mm. spin that around if that love is being shown and if these things are being exercised behave believe belong maybe and I, and jesus said this to a you know at least one person if not two maybe they're closer to the kingdom of God than we think they are and they think they are. Yeah. yeah. That maybe they're walking with Christ and don't know it. And I've always said to people, um, if you keep doing X, Y, Z, then I don't care what you think about God or Jesus, you're actually helping bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So please keep it up. Um, that you might say, I'm not a believer in God and I don't, go to church and i'm not interested in the things jesus said and yet i do abc and i'm kind of like that's fantastic you are helping bring about the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven yeah. and and jesus himself said to his disciples don't stop those people across the way doing what they're doing just because they're not a part of us let them go they're actually doing the thing that god wants mm. interesting i so, think this I, I in my experience as a chaplain this is exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I find myself continually articulating in terms of the kingdom of God what people are already doing. 
Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I it, it's not that I set out to do it all the time. It's that it just happens. Um, I get into conversation with people and I realise um, they are they are living into the kingdom and unable to articulate it. And it's actually a very welcoming thing to do. It's a, it's a very gracious thing to do to articulate um, where people are, are at the very least in search of the values of the kingdom of God. Yes. Um, and you can and you can affirm that search even while you might say, actually, these cracked systems probably aren't the place to find them. Um, uh, and 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 direct people towards um, the, the river of God, so to speak. Um, I, I think there's something really precious in that. It's it's very very gracious, um, and people I find are deeply accepting of it. Yeah. Um, and and I find myself finding, much to my surprise, more and more courage around um, articulating the spiritual search that people are on, um, not just the search for love, you know, the love of another person or um, the love of family or, or these, uh, but but actually um, a, a bigger sense of meaning in the world, um, an openness to prayer, um, an encounter with the spiritual. Um, I find myself daring more and more to sort of, open up the conversation to that um but what i don't find myself doing is um is cutting it cutting people off because they're not using my language i'm actually saying i i think this is part of the world around us um did, did this recently with a guy um one of the first spiritual conversations i'd had with him and um talked about I think we we ended up talking about ancestors when we were looking um, a, a couple of weeks ago um, when we were looking at Hebrews 11 and um, was in that conversation with him and he just opened up about stuff he had encountered in the world that he could not explain very rational man um, yet I I felt I'd been part of creating a safe space for him to talk about something he probably could not talk about to most people. Mm. And I felt privileged to be part of that. And there's a reverse challenge here too. And the reverse challenge is for us to recognise that these people may not need directing from cisterns to the river because they're already in the river. And they just don't know how yeah. to articulate it. Mm. And just because they don't use our language... And just because they may not see things through the same lens we see them doesn't mean they're not in the river and they're not a part of that living yes. water already. And I think yeah. this is one of the biggest challenges for Christians today who are recognising that there are many, many people who are a part of this thing of God in the world but don't necessarily recognise themselves as Christians or anything else for that matter. So I'm not even talking about religious people per se. Mm. And yet they are literally, and there's no other way that you can, you look at what they're doing and you go, that's actually this. Um, they don't need directing from somewhere else to get in the river. They're already in the river. Some yeah. of them are even deeper than we are, uh, <laughs> up to their necks in it. Oh, and that's humbling when you encounter that, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, good humbling, of course. Good humbling. So let mutual mm. love continue. All that at nearly hour-long discussion and we ended up talking about four, <laughs> four words. words. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you have any more insights on the readings from last week uh, or any of the weeks or even this week, send us an email between two Sundays, that's a number two, at gmail.com. Tell us what you're thinking. Tell us what you're seeing. Tell us what you're uh, finding out because uh, we want to hear and grow and stretch and dream and learn alongside you. Speaking of readings, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost is the one that's coming up this coming Sunday. And the readings are from Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 11, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, and then 13 through 18, Philemon chapter 1, verses 1 to 21, 
and Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Of course, the list is in the show notes or just below the what you're watching on YouTube. And the links, I hope, are working. You can click on them and they'll take you straight to the readings themselves. Otherwise, go hunt down the Revised Common Lectionary at the Vanderbilt uh, Library online. And uh, you'll have that there along with all the other resources which we've mentioned before and are wonderfully, beautifully brilliant. Right, so are we going to just walk through from Jeremiah, start at the top and work through again? I'm pretty happy with that. Because I was really fascinated. It's been a long time since I've read Jeremiah for lots of different reasons. Yeah. Um, but to, to read this part about the potter's wheel and the clay and the potter's hand forming the clay, because we've I've always thought about this in terms of, oh, well, if the... The, the, the pottery's spoiled, then mm -hmm. the worker will work her into another vessel and you sort of stop with that. But if you read on uh, in, the, in the passage, you actually see that it works in two different ways. He's simply saying here, Jeremiah is simply articulating here, if the potter's in control of the clay, the potter can do whatever he wants with the clay. Because later on, you hear uh, Jeremiah speaking as the voice of God to the people, saying, uh, at one moment I may declare concerning kingdom or nation that I'll pluck it up and break down and destroy it, but if that nation turns, I'll remold it. But then it also works the other way, uh, that if the nation yeah. uh, yes. will build it and plant it, but if they do evil in my sight, it'll be reformed. And I, I think that's a really important point because this is not again, and you know, this is the nature of prophecy. Prophecy is mm. not you're all damned and you're going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, and prophecy is not I am predicting the future. What prophecy is here is if we keep going down this line, these are the consequences of our actions. So it's not a case of, I mean, it's using the terminology if we go down this road, this is what God will have happen to us. But really what he's saying is, is that if we go down this road, here's the consequences. If we, we've been given this framework to live in, we've been given this framework in which we find what Jesus called abundant life. We have these commandments and we have this system that's set up to protect us and to look after us and, and to keep us warm. If we keep straying from that, we, we've got to stop wondering why this, you know, things are going wrong all the time. Because really what they're saying here is, is that, um, this potter uh, will form, will see the direction they're going and will form things to correlate to the direction that they're going. Um, I'll, I'll make this beautiful vessel, but it's they're going this way. Oh, well, I'm going to reform it and reshape it. And yeah. I think that's a really fascinating way to look at it. This mm. is really a wake-up call to not sit there and wonder why are bad things happening to us when you literally went out there to do things in a way that you knew weren't going to be beneficial to you as a community. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think that's something important that we need to take stock of that, uh, you know, there are natural consequences to what we do, both in the physical and in the psychological, spiritual, uh, however you want to look at it that way. And so to, to do things that we know aren't right and wonder why is this going wrong? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, and I, I hope you don't mind me mixing this up so early, but which is why the psalm being read through this lens is absolutely fascinating, because this psalm, I mean, I've, and I've used this psalm heaps in the last couple of years. I use this psalm quite often. It's a beautiful psalm that literally says we can't get away from God. God will see us no matter where we are. We can't hide from God, and God will never hide from us. But in the lens of this psalm, what that means is, is that we need to appreciate that while God is watching, we still have to reap the consequences for our actions. Mm. Um, and we can't expect that God is going to go, oh, you, you've done this. That's all right, I'll, I'll just, yeah. Mm. I won't let that happen. No, no, no. There's natural consequences that are going to come from this. And we have to expect that that's the outcome of it. Just because we happen to uphold God 
uh, or whatever, <coughs> doesn't mean that uh, we're going to be protected and shielded from something which really is what we sow is what we reap. Mm. I, I was I was confronted by two things as I read through this Jeremiah passage. Love what you've had to say there. And I think there is something important that we and this is this to me is very much the um the Sermon on the Mount. Um I, I don't think Jesus is articulating a bunch of new laws. I think he's telling us the nature of things. And 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 this is what I was hearing as you were talking there, um, mm. sort of you know this is this is uh, um, when God gives rules or guidance or commands, um, although sometimes the language isn't quite as strong as we you know as commands. The ten words is is really the ten commandments. Um, it's really it's it's really an attempt to remind us about who we are and how we work mm. um, and and how how life how life thrives for us, which is straight back to that freedom stuff that I'm always on about. Um, freedom is not freedom is not I can do anything. Freedom is I can do what I'm created to do. Yes. Um, that that's where we find freedom. So, um, so an eagle does not find freedom at the bottom of the ocean, and a fish does not find freedom when I throw it out of a plane in the sky. Um, freedom is about who we are, and this is where this Psalm th one thirty nine is so wonderful. Um, here is an articulation of God saying, "I know you better than you know yourself." Um, which is, of course, inherently an urge to listen, a, a reason for us to listen to the heart and commandment and word of God. I um, I could not, I, I could not get a, my head around in this Jeremiah passage. Um, two things: I got stuck on the first question, the first. You know, God appears to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. Um, I wrote next to it, would I go down? <laughs> Good question. This, uh, um, you know, do I always want to hear what God is about to say? Um, and, and certainly I know, well, Jonah is a classic example of one who, did not go where he was commanded to go, but went in the opposite direction. Um, so even the prophets kind of struggled with, will I go and will I go and hear what God has to say further? Mm. And then I was I was really struck with this very clear, repeated phrase from the mouth of God about God: "I will change my mind." So God speaks, and if there's response, God is clearly saying, I have no problem with changing my mind in response to the way people behave, be that um, responding to uh, in the sense of, um, you know, responding to them responding to you know, the calamity I have promised or to the blessing I have promised. We have this God who is continually responding to who we are and what we do. And it's this, it's this beautiful sense that God is not locked in. Um, God speaks and even then God is responsive. And yes. it may, uh, it may, uh, you know, as in the case of Jonah, it may put God's reputation at, um, you know, in a problematic space, um, at least for Jonah. Jonah knew God was like this um, and really wanted to see, um, to see God not be like this. He wanted to see God command, um, 
condemnation on Nineveh and hold to it no matter what they did. Um, <laughs> but but God is God is just here. There's something beautifully clear about the God who is living in response to our response to God and that it's all fluid. It's all moving all over the place. It's not locked down. This idea that that God's word, word words are promises that that God is now obliged and locked down by, um, I think is clearly challenged here. Um, and I think there's something. I think there's something really good about it um, that we end up. I mean, this is a, a wonderful argument for prayer and conversation with God. Um, it's a wonderful argument for when um, you, you know there's there, for when a prophecy doesn't come true. Um, what does this mean? Does it simply mean the prophecy is wrong, or does it mean there's some kind of response that God speaking into our lives is asking for? Well, again, Shana and Nineveh would be a great example of that. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I certainly know that you know, um, you, you know that those classic patch passages on prophecy that are, are sitting around um, you know if it doesn't come true they're not a prophet um, I, I don't know what this does what, what this reality of uh, a God who insists that I continue to have the right to change my mind actually does in that space it makes prophecy feel a pretty dangerous space to be um, and maybe that's what maybe that's what Jonah is actually getting at you know um, you made me look like a liar. Yeah. Um, One of the um, classics along that lines too is where Abraham pleads with God to save the city of Sodom. Yes. Where yeah. originally, you know, God was willing to whack it down uh, yeah. altogether and Abraham says, well, what if there's 50? Yeah. And then keep bringing it down. What if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's, what if we could find just five? And there's this conversation yeah. that goes back and forth. And God yeah. says, oh, okay, all right, if you can find five. Um, yeah. and, and so, Do you think, um, have you ever wondered whether, um, whether Abraham should have kept the conversation going? Got down to zero. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should maybe you should just let this go. I mean, he's on a bit of a roll, and God is clearly responding to his reasoning. It's um, uh, a good question. Why did he stop at five? Just a thought. Um, does is it is it that Abraham knows there's five in Lot and his wife and kids? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he goes. Yeah, at least I can get my family out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. Maybe. Perhaps. Um, um, actually. Yeah. Anyway, but as I said, it's a, it's an interesting thought, and it does really open up what um, hmm. uh, what's happening both in the psalm and in um, the, the Jeremiah passage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 an interesting thought. Um, I do wonder what this um, what this does to our what what if this if this flexibility in the heart of God, this responsiveness in the love of God towards us is kind of what's being communicated in Scripture. Um, if if this, is, this is the constant God that's being described, because, you know, there's, there is a way that people have read Scripture where, um, you know, God is unchanging, God says it, there's no discussion from here. This Jewish idea of wrestling with God is, is um, you know, a waste of time because God, because the, if the word of God is spoken, um, it's locked in. And yet, and yet in our very words of God, we have this flexible God. We have very. this responsive God. Yep. We have this God who is moved by humanity, and that's the story that's actually being told. Um, what a disaster if we've kind of we've kind of locked the word down in such a way that we can't hear that the word is telling us that God is responsive. 
and let me be really controversial. Please, it's <laughs> never never stopped you before. Never stopped me before. <laughs> but but what's and it's an interesting point. Um, you know, just today I was having a conversation with someone who was really firm on the fact that hell is the resting place of anybody who doesn't believe in God. They'll be thrown into a into hell. Now, I don't believe in hell like that. But even if I did, this conversation should lead me to see that it's not a given. Yeah. And that either A, God could change God's mind anytime God wanted about that. And may I add, I think God hasn't changed their mind but has a completely different understanding of what Dante has been taken by the Christian church um, uh, and run with, as opposed to what I think is more of a refining fire, which prepares all of us. Mm. Uh, But anyway, that's another story. But not only, not only can God change change God's mind when God wants, but there's a possibility that through Mm. our intercession and through our uh, talking to God about this, that the response of God to us could be, well, I will change my mind then. Mm. Puts us in a really interesting position. Either we go, God can change God's mind whenever God wants, or if we think that God needs a bit of encouragement towards that way, why aren't we simply going to God and saying, God, no more lake of fire uh, or whatever, mm. whatever, mm. whatever you understand hell to be. Um, it, it's an interesting idea that... Mm. If we honestly believe that God is as God is, and obviously from here, from uh, Jonah, from Abraham, and from a whole bunch of other parts of the text, we can see that God is open to that. Mm. Then why aren't we using that part of God's character to the advantage of all people to show the mutual love by seeking it that way? Um it's an interesting. Mark, you've got me. You've got me thinking about um, Jesus on the cross, praying, <laughs> "Father, Father, forgive them, yeah. for they know not what they do." Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no repentance and no turning um, indicated by those people, um, at least in, until not at that point, anyway. Um, perhaps after Jesus dies, there is. What if this? What if this is this example of reasoning with God? Um, in this reasoning with God on behalf of those who are, you know, who are are, are living a violent, destructive life. Yeah. Um, and what if it's what, what if it's on the lips of Jesus in that? central place, that that point at which we see the heart of God more obviously than anywhere else. Um, The incarnated one on a cross suffering for what he has not done. Um, What if if central to this story is this God who is praying that God would not do what God has said God will do. Yeah. Oh, not going to call down wrath, not going to call down hellfire. He's simply going to say, Father, forgive them. And then, and I might have shared this image before, but it's an image I had a little while ago, which I want to, I'm, I'm working on and building on. Mm. But you've got the, the cross there and you've got Jesus. When you said central, this is what, what popped into my mind. You've got Jesus on that cross, central, right where that cross point is. Yeah. At either side, you've got a repentant thief and yes. a non-repentant thief. Yes. And then you've got all of heaven and all of earth above and below. Mm. And that to forgive us to reconcile. And what is central to all those points is the Christ. Yes. Reconciling all things yes. into Christ's self. Yes. Um, if that's not an image of forgiveness and reconciliation right there on the cross where at the moment that that image is there, he's also saying, Father, forgive, mm. reconcile all of this together in, yeah, it's a big deal. 
That's where. Wow, change. there's a lot. There's a lot to think about there, isn't there? This is taking us in some fairly intriguing directions. It is, which Fruitful isn't one, I suspect. No, I don't think so because Philemon is about uh, yes. reconciliation, is it not? Yes. Now I'm going yes. to let you. Now I know you've done some work with Philemon recently. We and you talked about it the last couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, you brought true. Philemon up a few times. So yeah. t- take us into this and what you see here in this passage, mate. I think this is this is a bit of your bag. You know what I ultimately see here is um, something we've had discussions about. Um, actually, without recording, um, I see here the implications of the gospel growing in the community. Um, so Paul in Colossians, which which we think sort of parallels um, Philemon, um, there is no male and female, no um, slave and free, um, no Jew and Gentile. You, you know, these, and this is a, this is a big claim. Um, And I can understand the Colossian church confused as to what that means. Um, How can we we live that out? And and I think I I see in Philemon Paul Paul pushing into an exploration of what the, uh, you know, what, what are the boundaries on this? Um, and 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 what would it look like for us to live without boundaries? Um, would to to live in in that kind of freedom? Um, because Paul's um, Paul's asking something extraordinary here of Philemon. He's asking, uh, you know, he's sent Onesimus back where he is owned by Philemon, and he sent him with this letter that says Philemon, he's now a brother. Um, and and I think I think you can live this out. Mm. I'm not saying I'm not saying let's go half-hearted. I'm not saying let's put up a campaign that changes the laws of the Roman Empire so that all <laughs> slaves are free. There's no campaign here. Um, but what there is here is um, is what is possibly I don't, I don't know possibly the first time that a Christian leader has turned to someone else in the body of Christ and said, I think there's something bigger than slavery and better, and we can go for that. Mm. And, and, uh, and, you know, Philemon owns Onesimus. This is, this is property he's invested in that has been stolen from him when Onesimus ran away. Um, you know, by all rights, you know, in an in an economically, um, in an economic sense, um, this is insane and just against the whole system. Um, even even hundreds of years later, in England and across the the British Empire, people were arguing you just can't live without slaves. Yeah. You, you we've got to have them there. Um, Yet I wonder if this is, if this is, there's something of Paul, um, and I think the New Testament does this. It plants all the seeds for us to say slavery is an abomination before God um, and we can't live with it and we're going to find another way to do it. Yeah. Um, but it takes the church centuries to get there. Hmm. Um, and maybe this is maybe this is the first shoots of that that thought that there's no slave and free poking their way up through the ground uh, in the church, and it's it's this it's deeply deeply costly for Philemon to embrace this, and it is deeply deeply costly for Onesimus to embrace this as well. You've got to remember. He's staking his life as life on on Philemon's willingness to say the gospel can be lived. Because mm. um, if he walks back there and Philemon just says, no, nah, the gospel doesn't work, we can't find a way forward here, then 
Anesimus, I mean, to put it tamely, is going to be punished big time. Um, so there's this there's this risk on the gospel going on here. Um, and I just find it, I find it, I find Philemon challenges me in so many ways, much more than just about slavery. Um, what, what if we were to, what if we were, what if this was about women in the church? Um, what if this was about um, uh, the nature of marriage and, and, uh, um, and homosexual relationships? What, what if that was, and, and what they're doing here, what, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, what, what if this is about Jew or Gentile? There's a whole lot of discussion in the New Testament about Jew and Gentile. And, yeah. um, and change. And change. You know, how are we going to live with this? Not how are we going to articulate the gospel so that we can convince people in all the arguments. How are we going to live with this? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think we have here an expression of the fact that the seeds of change are growing and the danger that no one knows where they're growing. So it calls us to stay open. It calls us to, it calls us to be asking what the loving thing is for, is for us to do. Um, and I, so I find this um, a seedbed of seedbeds. That's a weird thing for me to say. Um, but, but what else can grow when we dare to take the gospel this seriously? And it may be that the church's traditional relationship with those who are, um, um, those who are living, you know, the LBTQI um, uh, lifestyle, it may be that that, that even there is a place that we need to stay open. Yeah. I I really love this. I think it's a, tr a tremendously, tremendously hopeful glimpse into the way the early church was struggling to say love compels us and what on earth will grow out of that. And let's be really clear that within the context of the church, holding a slave was no problem, obviously. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the idea that you should let your slave go would be what? Yeah, yeah. And an appeal to the things of God to say, if this is about love, mm. how should you be acting? Yes. You, you can appeal to law. And when I say law, I'm talking about the law of the land, not the law of scripture or anything else. If you appeal yeah. to the law of the land, that's fine. But what is God saying about how we live into this with love? In other mm. words, that becomes the framework for how we live, irrespective of yeah. what's happening there or what's happening here or anywhere else. Love becomes the framework to the point where Philemon has this challenge now. Well, if love is the framework, I need to set the slave free mm, mm. because in Christ, there's no difference. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. And I'm just going to come straight out and say it. When it comes to LGBTQI plus people, this is the framework. I love what you've said here. And I want to chew on this some more. But this is the framework that we need to be talking about rather yeah. than arguing over uh, Romans and arguing over Leviticus, what we need to be doing is saying, what is the gospel response? And the gospel response yes. is love. It has to be. And what's interesting as yeah. you were talking there, and again, meshing this may be early, but the gospel reading for this week talks about what that love is going to cost us. Yes, it does. And which I, I think is really interesting. Yes. That we're having. This I think that is. I think. This. I think this. This next to Philemon is deeply, deeply powerful. In fact, yeah. I I almost want to say this after Philemon. I almost want to say we've read this in a good order, but maybe you could read it the other way around and easily, easily talk about Philemon as as counting the cost. Oh, 
and it's a huge cost. Not only is it going to be a yeah. cost in letting his slave go, but it's going to be a cost to everyone else who says, what are you doing? Yeah. What yeah. are you doing? Even to the point where Paul says um, you can have him back, but not as a slave, but as a, as a beloved brother. Yes. So yes. not only is he saying release him and set him free, but he's saying let him hang around as that free person. Yeah. Yeah. Interact interact with this with with Onesimus. You know, be be brothers with Onesimus. Um and that's gonna have a cost to the community that Philemon lives in and his place in that community yeah. and how they see yeah. them. You know, this yeah. idea that uh oh you know we have to avoid being with certain types of people. And we talked about this last week. You know, Jesus was clearly a earmarked as a drunkard and a glutton. Mm. Uh, and to be earmarked as a drunkard and a glutton, you're hanging around with people who are drinking and eating. There's no two ways around that. <laughs> um, people are seeing you drink and people are seeing you eat. Mm. Uh, and there's a cost that came to Jesus' reputation because he was responding to love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and this is really a challenge for us to put our reputations aside, to put our pride aside, and to say, what's the gospel response? In some ways, look, when it comes to uh, our acceptance of LGBTQI plus people within the Christian community, I think that I can honestly say that theologically, from a scriptural point of view, I can maintain it and justify it. But I'm hearing right now what I'm what I'm challenging myself about is that doesn't even matter. Oh, because we can argue about it from both mm. sides all we like. I can argue for it. Someone else can argue against it using the same passages. And we do this with lots of other things too, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, we we this says this. No, this says that. But I I agree with this from this script. But I agree with that from the same scripture. Right. It's not even about that. It's about what is the gospel response to this? What is the yes. response of love? That's yeah. what it comes down to. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. If we're in Christ, it's level playing field and yeah. everybody's welcome at the table. Everyone. Everyone. Who am I to tell someone they're not welcome? Who am I to tell someone you can't participate? Who am I to tell someone to get out? I love them, then they get full rights to everything. And that's not based mm. on this passage, this passage, this passage, this passage. It's based on the gospel response of love. That's it. That's it. And I, I'm starting to see that we've been, you know, the, the decades that this discussions and even longer this discussion has been taking place within Christianity and the disagreements that have happened and the schisms and splits and all sorts of stuff that have happened, even in recent days, uh, this blows them all to bits and says to both sides, you shut up, you shut up and yes. just stinking well have the gospel response and love. Yes. This is, this is very interesting. The language used here, Paul says, as an apostle, I could command you to do this. So I'm in Philemon still, unless you're stuck in the gospel. No, 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 no. You're, you're good. No, no. Um, I think we're floating through on both of them. I mean, that's why it's <laughs> nice melting pot. Yeah. Paul goes out of his way to say, look, I'm an apostle. I have the authority to command, but I'm not going there. Because command, command will split. There is every possibility of a split as Paul goes and makes this move. But he's, what does he say? I appeal to you, and it's repeated. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus. Um, Paul is not tapping into this authority um, who's in charge, um, you, you know, we'll, we'll split this, we'll split this if we have to over this one. Um, you know, Onesimus can run away and come to me and we'll start something different. There's a, there's a heart of appeal here, which is why it's so um, so offensive, really, when, um, when churches say, I've got the truth, so, so we're moving away from you, um, which, as you know, is 
happening all over Australia at the moment in various denominations and yeah, yeah. Um, is, is actually deeply, deeply disappointing to see people who've got to a point where they're saying, actually, the conversation's over. Um, I'm not going to appeal anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to split. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to force. Um, and look, at least in this little book, Paul doesn't get there. Um, even though what he's asking is by every cultural level, <laughs> unreasonable. Yeah. Absolutely unreasonable. But, you know, when Paul, um, Paul says there's no slave and free and Onesimus has walked in with this letter, um, this is anything but theory. And then there's this other little letter and this, um, oh, there's so much in this little thing. I I love the way Paul opens it by addressing it to a number of the leaders in the church who have, you know, clearly been gathered to hear this letter and then changes to the singular and addresses Philemon exclusively in front of these people. He's he's really and and yeah we yeah. can we can think of that on a level as manipulative, and I understand how people can get there because that's the way I thought about this letter for a long time. Or we can think about this as community really functioning. Um, this is creating a conversation, and it's yeah. it's a hot controversial conversation that could easily split this community. I think we need to be really clear about that. This is not, we read it and we go, oh, yeah, it's slavery, it should be gone. Yeah. This is yeah. as hot as the topic, you know, the LGBTQI yes. plus issue. Yes, and which, is is, is, which is as hot as um, eating meat sacrificed to idols in this time. Um, yeah. Another place where Paul is prepared to say, I will actually sacrifice the freedoms Christ has won for me. Um in order to in order to stay in communion with the people who I don't think actually have this theology right. Um, or, um, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to not eat meat <coughs> for the sake of those who think that's important, even though I don't believe it. And even though I believe that was Christ one, um, the relationship here is vital to Paul. And we misunderstand him if we think he's just a bunch of commandments. And this, it's beyond Paul too. This is this is Peter walking into the home of the Gentile and going, you know, I'm, traditionally I would normally not need to be here, but yeah, that's that's gone now. Let's let's chow down. Yeah, let's eat. Let's eat anything because yeah. nothing's nothing's yeah. not kosher. This is let's just go for it. So these things we oh, need to understand boy. are hugely controversial, and they would have caused huge rifts and arguments. Um, yes, and, and some of them did. Circumcision did, uh, and we actually have that recorded. The argument between Peter and Paul about whether yeah. circumcision yeah. was going to remain or circumcision was not going to remain. Yep, um, and and both of them talk about that. But this this comes from a totally different angle, and one that reminds us and should remind us in this present day that everything is to come from the angle of. What's the gospel response? And what I love about what you just said, and you pointed this out before we, we went on, so excuse me for stealing your thunder, but I pulled it out because I want to read it. Um, the reading finishes at verse 21. Uh, yes, that's right. But when, you, but when you talked about, you know, Paul could easily say, if you don't do this, we're going to schism, or Philemon could say, I'm, I'm nicking off and doing my own thing. Straight after he's made this appeal, he says, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. So there's this sense of um, I'm making this appeal. I could order you to do it, but I'm not. I'm going to appeal to you to embrace the love that we are supposed to be sharing, this mutual love that we talked about before from last week. You should be sharing yeah. with each other and ask you to do it. But here's the thing, without even knowing how Philemon's going to respond, Exactly. And we don't know how Philemon responded. Exactly. Paul says, <laughs> I'm still going to come and hang out, so have a guest room for me. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm still I'm in gonna, relationship with you. I'm still in relationship with you. Yeah. Even though if you yeah. hold on to Onismus as a slave, uh, I, I think that's kind yeah. of iffy. 
but yeah. I'm still going to come down and sup with you. Maybe we'll talk about it more and maybe we'll, you know, have yeah. these frustrations and stuff. Um, yeah. But there is the love isn't just about the response to the issue. The love is also about response to the person. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is another challenge. Yeah. A huge challenge that if there are Christians out there who are listening to this even, uh, or who I know, who would say to me, Mark, I think you're obscenely wrong about your take on the LGBTQI plus community and your desire to see them fully included in all things. If the love is supposed to be the love of Christ, mm. then I need to continue to love those people and yeah. to live in relationship with them somehow and make that work. You know, um, you know, Philemon here to me is being asked to take the risk of love um, and to pay whatever cost might come. Mm. Um, he's just being asked to side there. And Paul doesn't, Paul can't articulate everything that will come of that, but he fundamentally believes it will be good, um, that there will be more as we embrace love rather than less. Um, so he will, he, he's not just a slave to you now, he's a brother, he's a statement. Um, you will only be richer, which is ironic, isn't it? I'm, I'm here in a system that says um, I'm asking you to give away your property. Paul is ultimately insisting you will only be richer as you take the risk of loving like the gospel describes. Yeah. And the last line of that reading from Luke is interesting because it touches on that. So therefore, none of you can become a disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Yes. Now, that's not necessarily saying dump them all. For some of us, it might be. Yeah. But what it course. certainly yeah. is saying is, is don't be so hooked up to your possessions that they get in the way yeah. of this love that you're meant to be shown to each other. And, yeah. and it's a love that, and, and uh, it's worth touching on this too, if we go back in Luke a little bit, uh, you know, in verse 26, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people balk uh, on that. They balk on this whole, mm. you know, hate thing. Uh, it, the word, um, and I'll pull it up, uh, because the word itself um, it doesn't come across in the same way as it seems to uh, in in the text when we read it in the English. But uh, the idea here is that we we carry this this cross, this burden, um, and at the end of the day, if other people hate us, and this is not about hating other people, by the way, this is about being estranged from them. Um, if if we end up in that position because of love then it's something that we need to, um, yeah, well, it's it's costly. This is going to cost us something. Mm, mm. Um, it, it, the, basically, the word itself means to esteem less. So whoever comes to me and does not esteem less, in other words, to you know, you, you've got this certain esteem that you hold up your father and your mother and everyone else with. And this is particularly true when you think about it, if, there is no dual Greek or slave or free or male or female that we are all one. Certainly honour your father and your mother. Certainly mm. care for your, your mm. children and your brothers and sisters and everything else. But if you're esteeming them higher than somebody else, yeah. there's an issue here. Um, That's a really good way to way to look at it, actually. I find yeah. that quite and so we've, we've got this, again, this sense of um, counting the cost of what it means to love. Mm. Um, and what king going out to war doesn't sit down first to consider whether he is able to um, do it with what he's got? Um, mm. you know, can he can he yeah. calculate that last? And if he cannot, then yeah, that's right. If you're not up for it, if you're not up for it, don't start. Yeah. That's it. So therefore, none of you can buy a disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. In other words, are you willing to cut yourself off from that? Uh, connection to things because you're going to be asked to do stuff that's yeah. going to make you go and, and possessions this isn't just talking about my money my car and all the other things think about yeah. the beliefs you hold to yeah. yeah think about 
heck yeah. in the conversation we're having for so long so many people held on to being gay is wrong hmm. well is that a possession and in terms yeah, and in embracing right. the love of the gospel do you need to let that go there's a sense of um it, I, I think this is very consistent with the gospel um there's a sense of dying to self here yes um, but, and it is it is it is our human journey, I think, to die to ourselves and realize, discover that what comes after death is resurrection. Yes, that yes. is that is our journey, um, and it and it will take us, you know, to the to the it'll take us all our lives until our final breath. Um, we are a people called to be dying to ourselves. And and that is where we find life. Um, yeah. And the, that is the journey. That's why we that's why we baptize. Um, because we believe the core of life is learning to die. And that is the most weird paradox. <laughs> Yet how many people have have discovered that to be true. Yeah. You know, we, we've said on this show, we, we've referred to the, the times when, you know, I lost my health for almost a decade. Um, what I learned out of that, honestly, I know it sounds crazy and I know it's repeated everywhere. Um, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Yeah. Uh, and I'm and I'm and the, the the conclusion on that is not that I'm doing everything to keep myself sick. It's actually I, I died to sit myself and found life. Yes. I died to I treasured and found a, a richness I didn't couldn't imagine existed. Yeah. Um. Uh, can I go back to Philemon? <laughs> go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I'm cheating here talking all no, that. That's okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. There's something in that. There's something in this that I just noticed. Then um, you you pointed out um, uh, that there's a couple of verses left off in this file in selecting Philemon one to twenty one, rather than all the way through to twenty five. And and one of the things that intrigues me in this um, in verse twenty four is that. Paul sends greetings from Mark. Now, I know there are a number of Marks around, but there's one that was on mission with Paul yep. that Paul split with Barnabas over him. Mm. Um, and there is every possibility. And if I remember rightly, this is around the time that, uh, you know, Luke is, Luke is mentioned in those, um, uh, in those mission journeys as well. I'm not sure if it's the same one, but here we have a collection of names that's that that seems to. Um, what if this is one of the passages, and there are others, that is something of an indication that Paul's relationship with Mark is healed, or being healed. Mm -hmm. And and what does that say? What does that say in in this context of our discussion on Philemon? Where um, where Paul is daring to ask something that's unreasonable of Philemon, and and Paul at the same time has come to a point where he is embracing something that at one point he thought was utterly unreasonable. It is so unreasonable, Barnabas, for you to keep Mark around. I'm going, and he split. Mm. Paul. The one who is writing here, appealing to love, and not and not commanding, not doing the splitting thing. Um, what if there is evidence sitting here that reminds us that Paul, at one stage, was in precisely the same space? He's speaking out of experience. I think he's speaking out of experience, and it's not yeah. an experience of I'm holier than thou. It's actually an experience of. Actually, I've gone for something less than love before, and I've had to repent of it. I've had to turn back and heal it. Um, I, I wonder if 
in the story Philemon knows of his good mate Paul, I wonder if he knows this. Episode 42. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a between two Sundays this one has been. How powerful is that? Man, there's been some really good discussion again, my friend. I love our chats. Um, yeah. yeah. This has been Between Two Sundays for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, Jeremiah 18 verses 1 to 11, Psalm 139 verses 1 to 6 and 13 to 18. Philemon, do the whole thing. Don't stop at verse 21. Go all the way through <laughs> verse 25. Stuff the lectionary says. And uh, uh, Luke 14, 25 to 33. Uh, there is so much in this, and we would love for you to engage with us. Go to Mark's. Uh, blog at barefootfollower.life. Come and spot check me on Instagram at monkindocs. Uh, send us an email at between two sundays at gmail.com and tell us what you're thinking. Tell us where things are at because boy, oh boy, there's some really, really deep stuff in here and we'd love to hear what's racking around in your brain and mm. your heart. Thank you, my brother. Great to chat, mate. Always, always. We hope you'll join us again next week for another Between Two Sundays. Until then, it's bye from me. See ya. Bye.